Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. We're just going to spend some time um, now in God's Word before Jacko comes and brings his sermon. Um, yeah, we're going to read from the Old and the New Testament. Um, excitingly, we are starting a, I want to say it's a 10-week series in Revelation. Um, so, yeah, if you, this is your first week, welcome. We're going to get into the deep and heavy stuff pretty quickly. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to be reading, first of all, in Daniel, um, and then we'll be moving into Revelations. So, uh, first reading comes from Daniel 7, 1 through 14. Um, I'm reading out of the NIV, which you'll find at the end of your pew. Um, if you so wish, or um, your phone's probably a bit quicker. So we're going to read Daniel 7, 1 through 14. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was the second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, it crushed and devoured its victims, and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the ancients of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its bodies destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion was, is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Welcome to City Light, guys. Um, our second reading is coming from Revelations 1, 1 through 20. Um, it, for a clue, it's at the very back of your Bible, um, but the page is there if you want to look. 
So Revelation 1. The revelation of... Sorry. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, Grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the king of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has, been, has made us to be a kingdom, and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and those, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so it shall be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Perigam, to Thyteria, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see that the voice was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was bright like the shining sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the key to death and Hades. Therefore, write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. Well, good morning again. Please uh, keep open Revelation chapter 1 in front of you. That would be a good place to be. Um, as we do start a series in the book of Revelation, um, got to say, I thought it was a good idea about six months ago. Um, I'm not so sure anymore. No, um, just, just kidding. Um, <clears throat> up the back, uh, just really quickly, there's, um, you'll find some notes that look a bit like this. Um, they're just some introductory notes to the book of Revelation um, and the first study um, that you can take away with you if you want. There's some copies up the back hard like this. Um, I'll share it online as a digital format as well. Um, if you want that. Um, just before I start, big shout out to the Uni Impact crew. Um, can you sort of wave your arms in the air or do whatever you do, you Queenslanders? No. Um, welcome to the City Light Church in North Adelaide. These guys are involved in university ministry um, up, on, uh, up in Queensland, Brizzy. 
Um, and uh, from what I understand, they're looking to take over Adelaide. Um, no. Um, so just beware. No. Um, welcome, guys. Good to have you with us um, worshipping this morning. Appreciate it. Um, let's pray um, as we come to God's word this morning. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for being the speaking God. Uh, who's re- who has revealed yourself in many ways and in various ways, visions and dreams and revelations. And Lord, we thank you so much for the final word of the Lord Jesus, and we long for him to speak through his servant today. Uh, Father, give us a vision of Jesus this morning, clothed in his majesty. Um, speak to us, we pray, through this book of Revelation, uh, that we might be changed, that we might be encouraged, and for your glory's sake, patiently endure. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Again, great to see you all here today. Um, I think you would have noticed, uh, if you have Revelation open in front of you, it was being read. Verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud these words. So Ruth, that's you, sorted, for the day. Um, You can just kind of fall asleep. You're blessed. You and the two other kids inside you. But for the rest of us, we need to do a bit of work this morning. We need to work a little harder. We need to, as verse 3 goes on to say, hear it and take it to heart in order to receive the blessing. And of course, though, there's a great barrier to our hearing the book of Revelation, let alone heeding the words of Revelation. Why? Well, to be frank, Revelation is just weird. It's weird, right up front, it's weird. And it's associated with weirdos, right, Revelation. Um, Those of us, you know, if you've hung out with Christians long enough, um, will know that it's the weirdos who are into the book of Revelation. Um, Some of you will know this book coming up on the screen. Here we go. Yay, here we go. Um, You'll know that book, the book by US evangelist Hal Lindsey, published in 1970, The Late Great Planet Earth. He's also the author of the well-known volumes such as Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth and the 1980s Countdown to Armageddon. I kid you not, The Late Great Planet Earth was, according to the New York Times, the number one best-selling non-fiction book for the whole decade of the 1970s. Unbelievable, right? And in it, Lindsay takes the book of Revelation and pairs it with events that were taking place in his generation. And and key to that volume uh, was that the, the founding of Israel in 1948 was the key apocalyptic trigger. And within one generation of founding Israel, Armageddon would take place, 1988. Right? That would destroy our jubilee year right, in Australia. Anyway, and of course, Armageddon would be provoked by the Soviet Union who would come down, attack Israel, sparking World War III, and in the midst of it all, boo, Jesus would turn up. Didn't happen. Well, you might be thinking, right, well, that's just what people were into back in the 70s and the 80s. It was quite an apocalyptic kind of time. But I kid you not, just recently, I was, I was in Melbourne just so long ago, happened to come across the Canberra Times. There was a full-page advert by a particular apocalyptic ministry that was saying that all the economic crises, the global pandemic, the earthquake, the bushfires, were all predicted back in the book of Revelation. And, well, this long full-page advert points out how you can know that the book of Revelation ties us to all these events that are happening today, 
right? And all the symbols like 666 and the mark of the beast and the beast himself are revealed in this one-page ad. And you'll never guess who they thought the beast was. No. Pope Francis. Pope Francis. Okay. How tragic. How tragic that a book named Revelation is so closely associated with obscurity, weirdness, and complication. Because the word revelation in the Greek, apocalypsis, literally means to take something out of hiding, to, to make something clear that wasn't clear. And the idea that it's been associated with such, hey Stella, with such weird, obscure views is tragic. And it's why loads of Christians, right, avoid this book altogether. But it's a revelation that is to be understood. I want us to see today that although it's a slightly scary book, it's actually just a letter written to real people by a real person to a bunch of real churches in the first century all about Jesus. If you and I are going to continue being Christ's faithful witnesses and servants until our life's end, what we need to see throughout this series in Revelation is we need to see Jesus. We need to see him clothed in glory and majesty and to hear his terrifying and confronting and yet comforting words. Today we're just looking at chapter one of Revelation and I believe it sets the scene for the whole book and I think it's foundational for our understanding of the whole book of Revelation. Um, in fact, what we find here, right, in the, in the first chapter, in Revelation is basically two visions that John has, right? Revelation chapter one is vision number one. Revelation chapter two, right to the end of the book, is the second vision. So today we're just going to look at the first vision. Over the next nine weeks after that, we're going to unpack the second vision. Um, but first, come with me, a bit of background information. The, the what, the who, the where, and the when of Revelation. Firstly, what is Revelation? It's a revelation, it's an unveiling, a lifting the lid, a pulling back of the curtain on what must soon take place. And it's a revelation ultimately from God. And have a look at, listen to this, this amazing chain of revelation that we see, right? God gives this revelation to Jesus who sent his angel, who brought it to John and then told his readers, of course the original readers, and then of course us, everything he heard and saw. So God, Jesus, angel, John, seven churches, you and me. And we're told we're blessed if we read this book and take it to heart. Over the next 10 weeks, you know, Please don't come to church either in person or, or, or on, online you know, with the, the mindset, look, I've always found this book weird and perplexing and confronting, and I'm hoping this series will give me a way to understand all the symbolism. Uh, perhaps I'll get a, a structure so I can you know, know it for future, and, and if only someone could help me work out which mill I am. You know, am I pre-mill, post-mill, or a-mill? By the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry, don't worry. But if only I could work out all that, that would be time well spent, yeah? I'd be, I'd be glad to come along and, and work those things out. Well, you know, that's not totally wrong. But we're blessed, brothers and sisters, if we hear this revelation and see Jesus. We're blessed if by coming here, 
that we all at City Light Church North Adelaide grow in our love for Jesus and grow in our determination to patiently endure and worship him come what may. So we're blessed as we hear and as we see and as we obey Jesus. That's the what. Secondly, who's this letter written to? Well, it was addressed to seven churches in real time and real space in the first century in what we now know today as modern Turkey. But of course, what we have here applies to every church in every time and in every place. That includes you and me and our church here at North. And who's it from? Well, it's from the Eternal Father, who's always been and always is and always will be. It's from the seven spirits, which may be the Holy Spirit, and it's from the Son, the faithful witness. And importantly, chapter 1, verse 5, the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's who this letter's from. The ruler of the kings of the earth. I mean, just picture it if you can, right? A big room with a round table, and there they sit. Biden, Modi, Macron, Boris Johnson, Ardern, Castro, Marcos, Morrison, no, not Morrison anymore. Um, what's his name? Albanese. Um, King Jong-un, by himself in the corner, threatening everyone else, you know. Al-Assad, Steinmeier, Xi Jinping, Putin, the kings of the earth gathered around and the CEO walks in and they all stand. No, actually, they all just like fall down because he owns the place. He employed each of them and at a whim, he can just dismiss them. Jesus, the ruler of the kings of the earth, writes the letter. And again, we'll see in this book of Revelation, a vision of Jesus and the glory of God leads to praise and worship and particularly praise and worship of Jesus, the lion and the lamb, people from every age in every generation having seen the glory of God or experienced the wonder of the cross, praise Jesus with new songs, new songs. See him coming on the clouds of heaven, every eye behold him now. He's the living one, the first and last, who once was dead, but now he lives, sing with me, forever and ever. See, great song, bad singer, right? Um, I stand amazed in the presence of, I'll stop, of Jesus the Nazarene. What, who, where and when? It's a letter from John, right? Who I wished he'd written John, the apostle of Jesus Christ, who sat next to Jesus at the Lord's Supper, at the final one, right? That would have saved so many debates and heaps of PhDs, right? Poor people. But, it's, but, but just, it just says this, verse nine, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Isn't that lovely? The one who stands beside you writes this. Not the one who stands over you or looks down on you, but the one who stands with us in our suffering and our anxiety and our doubts and our struggles and our joy and our grief. I, John, we see, 
your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Patmos was an island, it was a place where Rome sent their most troublesome criminals. And it was a Sunday. And John says, I heard and I saw. Let's look now together at what John saw and what he heard. It's important to remember that what John sees and hears, what he tells us, it tells us more about who Jesus is as opposed to what Jesus physically looked like. You get that? So what, we, what we John sees is more about who he is, not so much about his physical appearance. So for example, um, it's not like what we have here in this vision is a, like a, a self-portrait of Jesus. Um, so not like this. Here's a self-portrait of Rembrandt. Hey, there he is. Good morning. Um, that's Rembrandt, right? So you see that. I mean, that's, apparently that's what he looked like. So you could see this picture and you could walk out to an, onto O'Connell Street, you know, with your long black and you could bump into him and go, hey, like you're Mr. Rembrandt. I just saw your self-portrait. That's you. Like, you know, you, it's, there's a correlation. But what we have in this opening vision of John is a bit more like a self-portrait of Picasso. There you go. That's Picasso. That's, this one's called self-portrait facing death. You couldn't recognize Pablo Picasso down the street, right, having just seen that. It tells you nothing about his appearance, but it does tell you something about him, yeah? Look at his eyes. You know, fear and terror in the face of death. It tells you something about Picasso, but not so much about what he looks like. And of course, our vision we have here in chapter one of Revelation is, is about Jesus, not so much about what he looks like. And we see four things this morning about Jesus from Revelation chapter one and this vision. First thing, we see the setting of the vision. Um, have a look with me, verse 12, Revelation chapter one, verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like a son of man. John doesn't see a temple. He doesn't see a city. He doesn't even see people. He sees lampstands. He sees the churches portrayed as lampstands, light-giving objects. Because in a place of darkness, what you need is light to shine. And the church's purpose, God's people's purpose throughout salvation history has been to shine like lights in a dark world, to perform good deeds. And that's why Jesus addresses the seven churches in chapters two to three. When he does so, in five of the cases, he begins with the words, I know your deeds. The other two, he says, I know your suffering, I know your faith, I know how brightly your light shines. You know, we can become, right, so obsessed with church programs and strategies and, and making sure we get everything just perfectly theologically right. And that's good and right. But when John walks among the lampstands, what does he see? Your hard work and perseverance, but you've lost your first love. Your affliction and spiritual wealth. You remain true to my name, but some hold to ungodly teaching. I see your love and faith, but you tolerate the immoral Jezebel. You're dead, and your deeds are unfinished. You've kept my word. 
You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. As I walk amongst you, that is what I see. Jesus stands among the churches. That's the setting. Second, we see a vision of majesty. Now verse 12 again. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. One like a son of man. We know all these images of Jesus are taken from the books of Daniel and Ezekiel in the Old Testament. And if you don't know your Old Testament very well, you're going to struggle to grasp the book of Revelation. A friend of mine, I caught up with him just uh, this week. He's an English teacher in Sydney. Uh, he teaches year 10 to 12 English. A while ago, he was teaching a text or a novel I'd never heard of called I Is For Isabel. Anyone read I Is For Isabel? Yep, same with me. Apparently, it's full of, of biblical allusions and symbolism. Um, one of the characters was Joseph. So he asked the class that he was teaching, like, who is Joseph? And one student put up their hand and said, yeah, like, like um, Joseph is like, um, like, the, like he was married to Mary, like. Yeah? Yeah, that's great, he replied. Any others? Blank. Nothing. He said, what about Joseph from the book of Genesis, right? You know, the guy with the many-colored coat and things like that? Blank expressions. We've got to know the Old Testament if we're going to get the most out of the book of Revelation. And as we look at this picture of Jesus, I think we're meant to feel it as much as we're to visualize it. The pictures are designed to bombard and overwhelm our senses with sight and sound. And it's striking that the first thing Jesus, that John sees about Jesus is his clothes. Verse 13, he's wearing a long robe, reaching to the ground with a golden sash across his chest. He sees there a priestly garment. The first thing he wants us to see and wants us to understand is that this awesome vision of this awesome figure is that Jesus is our priest who made the way to God open for sinners like you and me, who prays for us. Many of you know that I studied at Moore College. Um, did that, I was there for four years, and on one particular night when I was at Moore College in Sydney, I was involved in the search for a missing person. Very exciting. Um, the young daughter of one of my lecturers went missing. She was eight at the time. She came home from school. She did something wrong. Her mum didn't like it very much. Mum punished her. Pew, out the door, she ran away. She was eight years old. She hid next door in the car park. Um, it got dark. Um, her mum and dad were searching the streets of Newtown. They went across the street to Sydney University. It got darker and darker. It got later and later. Um, in the Sydney city, Sydney, right, is not a good place for a little eight-year-old to be on her own. Um, so they recruited students to the search. Some hours later, um, one of the students found Pippa. I'll let Pippa pick up the story in her own words. She says, I don't know how long I sat there in my anger, but it got dark and I got tired. I didn't want to sit there anymore, but I was far too stubborn to go back. Finally, I heard someone at the gate and a torch shone right into the corner where I was huddled. My neighbor picked me up. She didn't scold me, just came over and carried me back to my parents. Seeing my mother's tears, I promised I'd never run away again. Pippa goes on, 
I've always been stubborn, whether it was running from my parents or from my God. I don't know how long I would have stayed out there in the dark if my neighbour hadn't come out and found me. I'm sure I would have kept running from God all my life um, if it hadn't come out and got me in my stubborn state. As a child, I knew that being a Christian meant you had to be good. I was good, mostly, but God's standards seemed way too high. I was the preacher's kid from a missionary family, but the rest of my life was mine. And I, and though I deserved to live, my, I thought I deserved to live my life as I wanted. I put up a good Christian front. But in my heart, I was running further and further from God. So my double life continued. My life trying to find my place in the world, trying to fit in and be appreciated. Then my life fell apart. Out of complete desperation, I gave up the fight. Just like my neighbour when I was eight years old, Jesus sought me out. He picked me up in my sinful state and carried me back to my father. But he did so much more than that. He washed me with his blood. He cleansed me from all my sin and presented me before the father righteous. I love that story. It's the first thing John sees. The priest who made the way open again for us, for Pippa, for all the saints, and he's the one who intercedes for us even now. And then John sees his feet of bronze, sees his victory in war, the one who has destroyed all our enemies, Satan and the hosts of darkness, death and sin, and be overwhelmed, brothers and sisters, by his voice like the sound of rushing waters. I've stood, right, I had the privilege when I was much younger to stand behind the waters of Niagara Falls. It's extraordinary. It is so loud, you cannot hear a thing. You can't hold a conversation with someone really next to you. The water is just... Jesus' voice is like the sound of many waters. It thunders. Be dazzled by his shining face like the sun. You can't look at the sun. You have to close your eyes. You have to squint. Look at his dazzling face if you dare. So see his majesty, his priestly garments, shoes of bronze, deafening voice, dazzling face. See his majesty. And third says John, see a vision of his wisdom. John sees the hair on Jesus' head. It's as white as snow. Again, drawn from the book of Daniel. I don't make people at City Light Church North Adelaide just read random parts of the Bible like Daniel 7. Um, but in that vision, there is one whose, whose hair is as white as snow. It's a picture of the ancient of days. We read in Daniel, hair is white as wool. You know, as a man with kind of whitening hair myself, one of the reasons why I get like a really short cut through here is so that I can't see the white hair anymore, right? But I love this. You know, here we are in this culture embarrassed by our hair colours these days. We cover it up, we put colours on. I mean, we dare not look our age. I've been to Southeast Asia a few times, the subcontinent, um, and people unashamedly ask you how old you are. So I recall jumping into a tuk-tuk in Hyderabad one time. Within 20 seconds, the guy goes, so what's your age? I'm like, well, you can guess. I'm hoping they'll say like 27. He goes, 50. Oh. I'm 37, man. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel, anyway, um, 
Why are we ashamed, right, of something that the Bible says is like a badge of pride? One of my favorite verses, Proverbs 16:31. Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained in the way of righteousness. It's a mark of wisdom and maturity. But Jesus' hair is as white as snow. Perfect wisdom. You know, we go to the wise, don't we, for advice. Here's the one with perfect wisdom. And more than that, his eyes are like blazing fire. He sees everything. He doesn't just see the, the outward appearance of our, what we look like or our actions. He sees inside our fears and our addictions, our desires and our anxieties. He sees it all. So beloved, be amazed at Jesus. And fourth, John sees a vision of judgment. Verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. I don't think it's a coincidence that John sees Jesus holding in his hand seven stars, which are the seven angels of the churches, and then right away sees out of his mouth a double-edged sword. We hear again and again in the book of Revelation a word of judgment. Just last weekend, actually, when I was in Sydney, I went to a church service and the, the person who was leading the Lord's Supper gave a little talk before the Lord's Supper. Um, he talked about the twin motivators for living for God, for living for Jesus that we find in the Bible. Twin two things, love and fear. He said that the Bible prefers love over fear because love motivates us to a joyful, glad obedience. Fear only sort of a grudging obedience. But it's hard to read Revelation and be so dismissive of godly fear. John sees in our Lord's mouth a sharp sword, which is a weapon of war. Swords cut and they cleave and they kill and they maim. He doesn't see a scalpel or a knife like instruments of healing. He sees a weapon of war. You repent and do the things you did at first, says Jesus. If you don't repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Repent, therefore, otherwise, I'll soon come to you and fight against the Nicolaitans with the sword of my mouth. I will cast Jezebel in a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. If you don't wake up, I'll come like a thief and you will not know what time I will come to you. Those whom I love, says Jesus, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So see our Lord Jesus standing among the churches. See his majesty. See his wisdom. See his word of judgment. And then see what John does next. When I saw him, I fell at his feet though dead. Then he, Jesus, placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Let me say two things from this incredible opening passage as we draw things to a close. I was in Melbourne a few weeks ago I've got to say, I feel like I've been all over the place in the last few weeks, and I'm really thankful that I get to be back here among you guys today. This is, I would say, this is one of my, my happy places. Um, being with you, Word of God open, teaching, it's great. 
But I was in Melbourne um, a couple of few weeks ago, watching my mighty tigers go down to the demons. Got off the plane in Melbourne, jumped on the Sky Bus, travelling into the city uh, from the, into the CBD, and I got chatting to a guy on the bus, um, and he asked me if I lived in Melbourne, and I said, "No, no, 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 I'm just visiting. I live in Adelaide." All oh, right. Do you make wine? That's what he asked me. <laughs> anyway, I said, "No, no, no. I'm I'm the pastor of a church." It's funny when you say I'm a pastor to someone. Um, it's either a conversation stopper or a conversation starter. Remember that ad on TV some time ago for a bank? There's a group of people out in the backyard um, having a barbecue, and someone says, oh, I'm David, what do you do? I'm a banker. And then remember, that? remember the ad? They all stop. And like even the dog stops. <laughs> oh, I'm with St. George. Oh, okay, that's all right then. You know, like, it's like that when I say I'm a pastor. Anyway, we got chatting, um, and he said to me, I've got a friend, you know, she's a devout Christian. And, and she said to me once, you know, like, you've either got faith or you don't have faith. You know, so I guess, right, when she, like, I guess in that sense, like, it's a little bit like Picasso, right? Or the humor in the show, The Office. You either get it or you don't. You're either wired for faith or you're a person who's kind of not wired for faith. I just said to him on the bus, I just think it's true. It's not subjective. It's not the way you're wired. It's not cultural. It's objective. It happened. People saw Jesus. People heard Jesus. John saw and he heard Jesus. John tells us what he saw and what he heard. He saw reality. It's true. Therefore, being a Christian just, I don't know, makes sense. It's just right. Gathering together on a Sunday or gathering together at our DGs during the week to worship is just right. Making Jesus your number one priority in everything in your life, it's just right. And when people around you, as was the case for Christians in this book, in this time, when people disrespect you, when people mock you, when you're insulted, when you're humiliated for being a follower of Jesus, and it might come in the future if you're imprisoned for following Jesus, you're still right because it's true. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, Paul says, We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. I think John is saying, look at Jesus and be changed. I want to be a better person. I want to be a kinder, more compassionate, more generous, more patient, less irritable, gentler kind of guy. Don't we all? Yeah. But it's easier said than done. Paul says you become a better person. You become like the very best person as you fix your gaze on Jesus. As a preacher, I'm always trying to find, you know, like the killer one-liner, you know? You know, I'm, like the campaign managers in the recent election. It won't be easy under Albanese. You know, time will tell. Anyway, um, I read John Piper on this passage, right? And he gave a killer one-liner. With Jesus, seeing isn't just believing. Seeing is becoming. With Jesus, seeing isn't just believing. Seeing is becoming. Seeing is becoming. You know, we hum the music that we love, don't we? You hum the blues, you'll be singing the blues. You hum Taylor Swift, you'll become like Tay-Tay. 
You speak the accent of your area, Adelaide, soon enough you'll be dancing while planting, playing with Lego. I never got that. Same with Jesus. The more we fix our eyes on the glorified Jesus, the more these visions fill our minds, the more we change from one degree of glory to another. So I just pray, brothers and sisters, that over the next two and a half months as we dive into this weird book, that we'll be transformed. And second, we know this book, this revelation of John was given to a church that was under pressure. Interestingly, apocalyptic language, is what, which is what this book is about, the genre of apocalyptic, was used by the Jewish people in particular to write to one another when they were particularly anxious or feeling under pressure. That's, what, that's common use. And this church, these churches that, that John is writing to, they were under pressure, persecution from without, compromise from within, and, and they're wondering, where's it all going? Is it all worth it? Is this the end? And often God's people in the church has asked that question throughout salvation history. Imagine being an Israelite stuck in Egypt and asking, is this the end? Or among God's people exiled in Babylon, is it all over? Yeah, there'll be times when you think of giving up. There are times when I think about giving up. Egypt's one, Assyria's one, Rome is one, secularism, that's one. We just want to give up. But the church is God's people and he will protect them. I don't know, just think of the, the church in China today facing all kinds of challenges, persecution, threat, church buildings being closed, pastors being in prison, but in the midst of it all, unprecedented growth with thousands upon thousands of people giving their life to Christ through repentance and faith. G.K. Chesterton once said, quote, at least five times the faith has to all appearances gone to the dogs. In each of these cases, it was the dog who died. Isn't that great? That's revelation. What must soon take place? The ruler of the kings of the earth. Every eye will see him coming out of his mouth with a sharp double-edged sword. I hold the keys of death and Hades. So God's church in Australia, in Melbourne or in Sydney or right here in Adelaide won't die. Oh yeah, numbers might go up and down. You know, we might see and pass by old church buildings being converted into homes and to cafes and even into mosques, but God will win. You live in a suburb, we live in a suburb of uh, thousands of people and only a handful of believers in this place, but God will win. We live in a city of about 1.5 million people, most of whom don't know Christ and all the believers in our city would probably barely fill the Adelaide Oval just down the road. But God will win. Our numbers decline as atheism grows, but God will win. We're living in a rapidly changing world. It can be tough. Prayer is difficult. Church isn't growing. No one really appreciates what we're doing. Work is hard. We have doubts. Our Christian worldview makes us stand out on pretty much every single major ethical issue happening in the world. 
kids aren't walking with the Lord and you wonder, can I keep going? But this book of Revelation says God will win. He's redeemed you from every tribe and every language group and nation and tongue on the earth. You're a priest. You're a child of the Most High. He's prepared a place for you in the new creation. And he'll hold on to you. He will keep you. Because God always wins. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you look down on your church in every age to varying degrees, doing it tough because of their and our love for your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for this word. We thank you for your servant, John, and for the vision of the Lord Jesus, clothed in majesty and power. And I pray that this week, throughout this series, you'd fill our minds more and more with a picture of him, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, the one who rules all the kingdoms of this world, the one who holds uh, in his grasp life and death, and the one who one day returned to judge the living and the dead. Father, by your spirit and through your word, fill our minds with Jesus so that we might believe and that we might become more like him for our good, for the good of North Adelaide, for the good of Australia, for the good of the world, and ultimately for your glory. And we ask this in the mighty, beautiful, and majestic name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful, and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church/northadelaide.